Hey everybody, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Today, as part of our Town Hall series in partnership with the Washington Indivisible Network and Indivisible Tacoma, we present two Democratic candidates for the state legislature in position two and state Senate from the 10th Legislative District. Join us now for a conversation with Representative Dave Paul and Commissioner Helen Price Johnson, recorded live on the evening of Thursday, May 28th. Hello, everybody. Welcome to tonight's Indivisible Town Hall. We are so glad that you are with us. My name is Stephen Cox. I will be your host. I host the Washington State Indivisible podcast. Thank you to Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and also Julie Anjievsky with Indivisible Tacoma. Thank you also to Louise Pathé for her help tonight. And thank you to Larry Barrent with Indivisible Whidbey Island, as well as the FLIP, the 10th Coalition of Indivisible Groups in the 10th Legislative District. And of course, Thank you to all of you for taking the time to join us tonight. So we are going to be speaking with two tremendous candidates who are running for state Senate and state representative in the 10th LD, which includes North Snohomish County, all of Island County, and the southwest corner of Skagit County. And here is how tonight's discussion is going to go. Each of the candidates is going to have two minutes to introduce themselves, talk about why he or she is running. We will then have a series of general platform questions covering the areas of pandemic recovery, health care, climate Washington's tax system, education, and housing. I'm going to try to get to as many audience questions as I can. As Kat mentioned, there were a number of tremendous questions submitted in advance, so we may not get to new questions tonight, but I will do my best. Uh, That said, all questions will be passed along to candidates for a response. We only have, actually, we have a little less than an hour tonight, so we are asking both candidates to limit their answers to two minutes. I will be timing on my end, and I will prompt the candidates when it's time to wrap up their answers by uh, waving a pen or saying thank you. I will also encourage both candidates not to use the full two minutes if they don't need to. So with that, let us meet our candidates. Helen Price Johnson is a three-term Island County Commissioner from District Number 1. She served two terms on South Woodby Island School District Board, and she is former president of the Washington State Association of Counties. She is running for state Senate. Representative Dave Paul was elected to the state house in 2018 and is running for re-election. He is currently vice president of Skagit Valley College, and he also serves on the Island County Economic Development Council. Representative Paul, Helen Price Johnson, welcome to you both. Thank you so much. So, uh, Helen, I would love to start with you. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your background, if you will, and how that has prepared you for the job of state senator. Well, first, I just really want to thank you, Stephen, for the opportunity and for everybody taking time out of such a beautiful evening. I don't know why we're all not on our back porches with something tall to drink, but I appreciate it because this is really important. Um, The reason I'm running is because the 10th Legislative District deserves a senator who's going to roll up her sleeves and go to work to solve the really complex problems that we're facing here. We have a shortage of housing. We have pandemic that has really uh, crippled our local communities and and put a threat to our public health. It has strained our social safety net systems. Um, We also have the threat of climate change that we need to address in a systemic way. And, And I am a candidate who has a track record of bringing people together, listening well, and solving complex problems by um, by being respectful, by uh, reaching across the aisle and, and knowing that good ideas can come from any place, and also really prioritizing the values of social justice, uh, environmental protection, and uh, fairness and equality. 
Helen Price Johnson, thank you so much. Uh, Representative Dave Paul, let's turn to you. Give us some of your highlights, if you will, some of uh, your accomplishments from your first term in office as representative. Thank you, Stefan. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope everybody can hear me all right. We've got a microphone on this time. And uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Uh, So, you know, I ran two years ago because we looked at our delegation and it really did not represent the values of our, our swing district. You know, it's a a district that had voted for Hillary Clinton by a point and, and had voted progressively on ballot initiatives. And I, our delegation two years ago just didn't reflect uh, the values, I think, of, of folks in this room and across the district. So, you know, I ran to change that and came in focusing on education. Uh, and I'm fortunate to serve as vice chair of the education committee, uh, work on college affordability and getting students pathways to living wage jobs family wage jobs, and that includes not just folks coming out of high school, but folks that are returning to the workforce or want to uh, perhaps get a better job than they've got right now, um, and to protect our quality of life here in the 10th District, which um, we had a just a tremendous number of environmental bills two years ago, um, which we followed up with an important bill last year, which I'm really proud of. We have time to talk about the plastic bag ban, which I think became a really bipartisan effort by the end. And so really excited to continue that work. I work on protecting our infrastructure. I also serve on the Transportation Committee. Um, And then continuing making sure we have voices in uh, Olympia to represent rural districts and the values we represent and bringing that voice to Olympia that when we talk to folks about mental health, we talk to folks about affordable housing and behavioral addiction, that those are things important to our district just like they are in other parts of the state. And working on those coalitions to help find solutions that work not just in King County or Pierce County or Snohomish County, but in Island Skagit County as well. So I'm excited to be here this evening and look forward to hearing about what you folks are concerned about. Well, we will get to that straight away. I want to jump into some platform questions. So as we know, Governor Inslee just announced that Island County can enter phase two for reopening the economy. Uh, Helen Price Johnson, let's start with you as the head of the task force with Island County Commission looking at this very question. What is your assessment of the state's phased reopening thus far? And how do you feel the state government should be helping individuals and small businesses in the 10th? Well, I'm really grateful uh, for Governor Inslee's leadership in this really difficult time. He's been uh, moving forward with with the, the CARES Act funding that came to the state in other states, some of that all stayed at the state level, but under his leadership, he's forwarded money to the local governments to be able to help address our local needs. That's the model that I think is gonna get us through this because Island County now can put together the programs that we need to help meet our local needs. We're actually being able to use that for direct grants that we're, we'll be uh, pushing out to help small businesses uh, keep their doors open and prepare for safe reopening with plexiglass shields or other things like that. And and maybe with some advertising dollars to help people bring people in. And also we're looking at safety net services through uh, addressing the increased need for rental assistance and uh, access to food and mental health counseling. And so those are the two local needs that we're really focusing on at the county level. And it's really because of the way the state shared those revenues that were able to do that. 
Representative Paul, the same question goes to you. What is your assessment of the state's phased reopening process? And then how do you feel the state government should be helping individuals and small businesses in the 10th? Yeah, thank you, Stephen. That's a great question. So I think, first of all, the phased approach um, at the county level, I think, was a smart uh, way to approach this. And so we we looked at the data, um, Commissioner Price Johnson and I can see the same data as, as you folks can about uh, rates of infection and looking at what our public health officials say are uh, ways of um, reopening safely. Uh, and we looked at ways of, of encouraging the governor's office to look at some of those categories and uh, if those could be done safely and, and not, uh, if people still have social distancing and be able to have the personal protective equipment, uh, perhaps they could open up earlier. I'm pleased uh, that Island County's been able uh, to move forward. Uh, we work on continuing on refining that. Perhaps uh, Stanwood could be included in that. Uh, Stanwood is pretty isolated from the rest of Snohomish County, um, and I think are feeling the need that, that perhaps they should be with Island County in that reopening. So we want to continue the work that the state government has done working with our local economic development councils. Um, so there are 34 of those. We have uh, one in each of our counties. Uh, and proud of the work that they're doing to help support businesses uh, through this time, connecting them with grant dollars and, and state and federal resources, and then trying to look forward about how to, to make this recovery a V-shaped recovery instead of a U-shaped recovery. And then I think on the individual side, making sure that folks um, get connected to their unemployment benefits. Um, we've, I think we did the right thing by making sure folks can get those quickly. Um, I would have liked to see more accountability uh, so that we did not, we should not have seen the scams um, that, that hurt the state and, and took taxpayer dollars. Um, I think there could have been some common sense guardrails on that. Uh, but pleased that we reopened, we opened those dollars quickly and got those also to folks that were sole proprietors um, that initially weren't eligible for those dollars. I want to stay with you, uh, Representative, for the next question, because the legislature is predicted to have a special session this summer, possibly in June to deal with budget shortfalls due to COVID. How should the state, in your opinion, make up for lost revenues and which programs would you prioritize? Yeah, that's a great question. So there's no silver bullet to make up lost revenues. Uh, we saw even with, I think, really common sense legislation two years ago that helped uh, ensure that big banks that helped cause the financial uh, crisis of the Great Recession uh, that they were uh, paying their fair share. Um, and, you know, made, when we talked, Commissioner Price Johnson, I talked to our local community banks, they've got tremendous regulations that are caused because Wells Fargo's and other large corporations really, um, really hurt America. And so we had a common, I think a pretty common sense approach to dealing with that. And that's now tied up in litigation. So anything we try to do to raise revenue um, in our short session, uh, will probably be tied up in revenue. There, there's just no silver bullet. So I think when we're looking at programs, we want to protect programs that are helping the folks that are most vulnerable and that are going to put our state in the best position to, again, get out of this recovery quickly, uh, get into our recovery quickly, and get folks back to work and get our economy running again uh, while still protecting workers. So same question to you, Helen Price-Johnson. Uh, how should the state make up for lost revenues? And if you were in office, which programs would you prioritize? Well, I, I think the as uh, Representative Paul was speaking about the last recession, there are some lessons learned that we can take from that. There were 
decisions made that really shredded our social safety net that have exacerbated problems from the recession. It actually impacted the people who were most vulnerable. We are in a similar situation right now, and we need to be, make sure that we're protecting local safety nets uh, as we're moving forward. What I would not do is sweep uh, great swaths of local revenues, uh, which was also done last time. In fact, they raided the Public Works Trust Fund at a time when local communities needed to make infrastructure investments to get people back to work. I actually think that's a really good way that this state could help rebound as quickly as possible is making some of those really important investments that we know we need. One-time money that gets people back to work and actually kickstarts the economy again. We don't have all the same problems that we had in the, in the recession because this was a forced closure. What we have to do is make sure people can stay safe while they go back to work. So if I could piggyback on that just for a second, that's a great point. So we can use things like our capital budget process, our transportation budget, uh, if there are shovel-ready projects that help keep people working. And that, that's one of the few areas that we can bond in and actually get folks back to work quickly. Uh, I completely agree with Commissioner Fleischmann on that. We'll move on uh, to the climate right now, the climate crisis. So the last two legislative sessions have made some strides on the climate crisis, but we know there's still a long way to go. Uh, Representative Paul, is there specific legislation that you would support and push for in the next session, like say, for example, HB 1110, the clean fuel bill? That's a great question. So first of all, to to go back two years ago, we had uh, 12, 13 really good bills, really important bills that helped get our state on the right path. So the the one I'm most proud of is the 100% clean energy bill. And I think what that legislation is so good because we saw that progress through the legislative process. You had folks that were opposed like PUDs, public utility districts in, in PSC, one of our largest utilities, that eventually dropped their opposition or came on board as we made that, refined that bill and, and we're gonna to get to 100% clean energy um, ahead of the rest of the nation. I'm really proud of that. So the, the largest now uh, thing for us to work on is the transportation sector. And so I voted for the clean fuel standard. I voted for it uh, in both sessions and, and caught some heat from folks that thought, why is a swing district member voting for this? Well, it's, it's good for our district. It, the transportation sector provides the, the largest share of greenhouse gases, um, about 40, 45%. And when we look at cleaning up our fuel standards, it actually will create jobs, green jobs here in the 10th district and in the 40th and in the 42nd in nearby districts. Um, as we, sorry, we're about to have a dog bark. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and I, there may be other ways of approaching that, and but we've got to hold Big Oil accountable, and their uh, their technique so far to date has been to kick the can down the road, and we can't do that. And that's exactly what I said to them when I met with them two years ago in the legislative session. So if this isn't the right way of going, uh, what is the right way? Uh, and I think you'll start seeing with uh, Representative Shoemake's work in the 42nd uh, with the Energy and Environment Committee. Uh, she's a trained economist. And I think we're going to start seeing some some good step forward in the next legislative session. Terrific. Thank you for that. Uh, Helen Price-Johnson, what would you like to see done on climate? Well, I think I think we need, I think one of the things that we can do is is integrate climate response into all the other aspects of 
local and, county and state government. There, were, there was a proposal to add another element to the Growth Management Act around climate change. I actually think we can't have it be an add-on. It really has to become how we do business, how we in, uh, in, uh, maintain our road structure, has to include adequate culverts for fish to get through. We need to, we need to uh, change the economics of rural areas so that there isn't a disincentive for development, I mean, or an incentive for development when what we really want to do is incentivize tree cover and rural lands. But counties like in the 10th that really specialize and provide a lot of carbon sequestration in our shorelines and kelp beds and trees, um, there's, there isn't a monetization of that environmental benefit. And so I think there are some innovative tools that are being uh, uh, implemented around the world that we could look at. I think we need to invest in the things we want to keep. You're leading right into my next question, and you're already addressing it, and that has to do with the balance with climate change and local industry. So how do you, as a legislator, balance the needs of local industries in the 10th, like fishing, like agriculture, like tourism, with the need to protect the environment? Well, I do think that there's it's not the same in every in every part of the state. And so allowing for a little bit having having clear goals and setting clear standards, but allowing some regionalization for things like uh, transfer of development rights. I mean, we have a whole island in this district that has no incorporated areas. You can't transfer development rights on Camino Island because there isn't an incorporated area. So why couldn't we figure out something that in partnership with their sister jurisdiction in Stanwood that maybe we can have some benefit, mutual benefit there? I mean, I, that's just a, a concept. It isn't, even, it isn't something that's allowed, but it's something we better start looking at if we're going to preserve our open areas. Representative Paul, I'll ask you exactly the same question. How do you balance the needs of local industries in the 10th uh, and the need to protect the environment there? Well, it's a, it's a great question and it's not an either or. It's we are going to protect our industries by protecting our environment. So when we look at the, the very industries that you uh, spoke of, of fishing and agriculture and tourism, those all depend on having a healthy and clean environment. And as we uh, work with our county commissioners, as we work with uh, local government officials, uh, we can help create green jobs and help create sustainable jobs uh, that you, we need to focus on things that can't be outsourced that we do best here. And when we look at green energy from solar to wind, we can have training programs at our community colleges that help get folks into those jobs. And people want to live here because of the quality of life. When we protect the quality of life and protect our agriculture, we protect that heritage that we, we, that we, we all cherish so much. And if you wanna see folks working across the aisle, to go to some of these conservation uh, breakfasts where farmers are sitting across from environmentalists and they both want clean water um, because they want their cows to be, the farmers want their cows to be able to drink clean water as well. So I think working together, we're able to uh, find practical solutions to protect our environment and also benefit our industries. You know, you also anticipated my next question as well when you when you bring up the transfer of green jobs. Uh, I know that living wage jobs are very, very important to your platform. Can you talk about, a bit about what you've done to help create those jobs? Yeah, so it's um, we want to work with our, our local incubators that we already have here in our district. So we already have folks that are, are have some cutting-edge technology on um, battery technology that is a natural for solar 
and uh, wind, and also as we try to uh, electrify our boat fleets. And we're going to start with the Guaymas Ferry um, in Skagit County, and then and look at having hybrid ferries in across Puget Sound. We look at well, can we get those jobs? They've got the technology in Anacortes, so can we actually get? And they've got their first production facility in Burlington. Can we grow those at the Port of Skagit or somewhere else in, in the 10th district uh, and get those jobs? And I think working with our community college system, working with industry, and then working also with our K-12 partners to get folks to realize that uh, at the middle school and high school level that they can have family wage jobs um, that are really challenging to, to outsource. They can't be outsourced. It's really hard to, to have a welder uh, in another continent. Uh, let's get folks to look at those jobs and get into those jobs without student loan debt. So I, to me, they're all connected. And we've got great resources here in our district, in our three counties that we can better utilize. Helen Price Johnson, I'd love your ideas on how you would like to develop more living wage jobs. I know this is an important part of your platform as well. Well, it is. I, I'm a small business owner and have been um, all my adult life, I had a retail store in Langley and, and my husband and I have a construction company. Um, and we, so making sure that, that small businesses can, can thrive in our district is really an important part of our community. I, the, I, I echo all the things that Representative Paul spoke about, but I think the other part that we need to think about are those smaller businesses as well. So a lot of, a lot of this is, is, knowing that people can be a sole proprietor, that you can start a business, that you can, that, uh, and we need to make sure that the state is not penalizing small businesses at the expense of, uh, of our local communities. We've seen that devastation just recently as so many businesses had to shut down. But those, those small businesses are, are really important for the fabric of our community. And so making sure that the trades have, that there's a clear path for people to get the job training that they need to be successful, um, that, that people have access to broadband so they can take their businesses online. I mean, you can live and work and play in the 10th district if you have that, that kind of vital infrastructure. Since you brought up broadband, this is a listener question, but I'm going to just jump ahead. Uh, broadband access is a problem in many parts of the 10th. Uh, I've heard this from, from many people that I talked to in preparation for this tonight. Uh, with more and more people working remotely, as you say, would you support creating a public utility district for providing better access to, to broadband for residents? So we're actually looking at, at a, a public-private kind of partnership where through the a port, the Port of Skagit um, has been working with the city of Anacortes on something like this as well, where there's a, private, a public um, um, infrastructure, like a, a, the spine is, is public, the, the pipe is public, and then the providers run the fiber through. Um, but it, it helps to, for, I mean, there are many places where it's really a, a broadband desert. Commissioner St. Clair on our board is taking the lead on this, but it's really something that has been a high priority. And it's not, it's education, it's, it's for jobs, but it's also just basic healthcare now. So much is, is you, telehealth and telesite are being delivered this way. We, it's really a basic need, just like the electrification of the, you know, of the West uh, back in the, in the pioneer days. So um, I think it's something that can't wait. 
any longer. And, and government plays an important role in making sure to remove the barriers to success. Representative Paul, I, I will put the same question to you about broadband access in the 10th. Uh, this obviously is becoming much more important to uh, people's lives, uh, central in every way. Uh, would you support creating a public utility, a PUD, for providing better access to broadband for residents? Yeah, so I might. So we passed the Rural Broadband Act in 2019, and that was when the, the speaker brought together some of the rural legislators. That was my number one priority for rural economic development. And I think folks were a little surprised um, that we would have pockets in Snohomish County and Skagit County and Island County that don't have access uh, to broadband. And this is a, you know, with, with the uh, pandemic has, has demonstrated is this is an issue not just of economic development and in telecommuting, but also in terms of um, access to K-12 education for our students that don't have, they can't go into school right now. Um, and uh, to the point that we have areas in the 10th district where a hotspot doesn't do you any good because you don't even have cell phone coverage. So uh, it is becoming, um, I think the, it is put up front and center. And as Commissioner Price Johnson said about healthcare, um, uh, it, it's more than just rural economic development, it's now education and healthcare as well. So looking at what those models might be, it could be PUDs, um, it, it could be working with our providers like would be telecom that, that are already uh, working on this. Uh, but I think you'll see when we passed the legislation two years ago, the governor's office was really clear. Let's let's implement and see what, what holes remain in that legislation, that policy. Um, so they were hoping not to have a, a bunch of bills this past session. Uh, well, now it's going to be two years in 2021, and it's time to look at uh, how we can get it in to everybody. Um, and, and I don't know if it's a PUD or, or if it's if it's patching together those different entities. But we got to get there. Terrific. Thank you for that to, to both of you. I want to shift over and talk about healthcare. Uh, the pandemic has very much shown weaknesses in our healthcare system, especially with insurance that is dependent on somebody's employment. How do you see, Representative Paul, how do you see a pathway to universal coverage in Washington? Yeah, so that's a question we get a lot. And I think the I think some of, there are some good things we found out through the pandemic. We've got good public health services that uh, provided us the information we needed to make um, good decisions. And we're seeing that the state bounce back faster than other states that weren't listening to their public health providers, public health officials. Uh, we have, um, through work through the Cascade Care, um, through other ways that we've increased um, healthcare insurance like SEB, which is a way that uh, folks connected to the K-12 education system, uh, part-time workers oftentimes got uh, uh, full-time healthcare this past uh, session, uh, two years ago, that we we now have uh, more Amer or sorry more Washingtonians with healthcare. Uh, we I believe we, every county in the state now has um, two providers uh, for the public option, and that is terrific news. So building on that, you know, dealing with healthcare is is really in many respects a national issue, but I think that Washington has demonstrated the ways of being able to do it at the state level. Um, that are getting us in the right direction, and we're going to continue that good work. You mentioned that it's a national issue, and I'm sure that you know that Indivisible has pushed extremely hard for Medicare for All. I'll just ask you yes or no. Do you support Medicare for All? Well, I think that it's got to be done at the national level. It's it's so expensive that it, it would be impossible for us to do it. No, I'm speaking. I, yeah, I, I should have been more clear. Uh, specifically at the, at the national level, the Sanders bill, the Medicare for All bill, do you support that? Yeah. 
Okay. And I will ask you the same question, Helen Price Johnson, about uh, the weaknesses in our healthcare system and how you would like to get to universal coverage here in Washington. Well, it, we have seen how vulnerable our rural hospitals are as a result of the pandemic and just, uh, you know, the, the funding models uh, of healthcare. It, this isn't unique to Washington state, but there's just too much money that is caught up away from client care. Um, there, there's too much money. There's a lot of money in the system, but it's going into administration and um, mutual funds and, and other things that are not providing care. And, and in our rural areas, it, we're extremely uh, vulnerable because uh, there just isn't the economies of scale when smaller hospitals are so dependent on, on those Medicare and Medicaid dollars. So reimbursement rate of, I mean, I, I think having um, Medicare for all uh, only works if you have reimbursement rates that can keep your rural hospitals open and keep access to care going. I mean, we have to lower the cost of prescription drugs. We definitely need to make uh, the pharmaceutical companies pay for this opioid crisis. Um, and we're in Island County's part of the litigation around that. Uh, but I think we need to, we need to start unraveling all of these complexities that make Medicare for all such a challenge. And I think there are things that we can do to, uh, around that. What I, what I really am concerned about is, is that it needs to be, the access in the rural areas needs to be part of the conversation as well as in the metropolitan areas. And sometimes people look at those big hospitals and, and how it plays out where there's closer access than there is in, in other areas. So that vulnerability is something that I, I want to make sure I, I am a voice to uh, raise. You're touching on a lot of gray areas here, which I understand and respect. Uh, but since I asked Representative Paul a direct yes or no question, I will just ask you for the record, uh, do you support Medicare for All? Well, I think it's a great concept. Again, it has to happen at the national level. I do think that there are things that we can do at the state level, though, that can bring more dollars to patient care and less to the overhead in the meantime. I want to move next to affordable housing. This is something that I know is very important to both of you as well. And uh, we know that rents and, and, and housing costs are just becoming out of reach for people all across the state. What will you do to create more affordable housing in the 10th? Um, we'll stay with you, Helen Price Johnson. So one of the barriers to affordable housing is really infrastructure cost. Um, in the you know, back in the '90s and before, uh, local small towns were able to get federal federal money to help build infrastructure and build out the sewer and water that they needed. Since those have gone away, that burden of cost is on those local communities, and it's just too high for what is needed to be done. We need to. We, we need to get infrastructure money back to the local level so that our, our incorporated areas, our smaller incorporated areas can help meet our density needs. It's been a long time since we had um, lots of investments in affordable housing with federal grants and tax credits. And a lot of it is because the cost of infrastructure has made it really difficult to make the, you know, make the numbers work. So infrastructure is how I would go about it. Okay. Uh, Representative Paul, I'll put the same question to you since I know this is important uh, to you as well. Uh, what will you do? What have you done to create more affordable housing in the 10th? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, so when I ran two years ago, uh, I got in the race talking about education and 
another issue is close to my heart and then quickly heard about affordable housing and mental health and behavioral health. And so uh, the legislature in the last two years has put tremendous resources into the housing, the affordable housing trust fund, uh, which helps our local communities uh, build more affordable housing. Uh, and when we talk about uh, housing affordability, it's bigger than talking about uh, the just um, housing for the lowest income folks. We're talking about keeping people in their homes and we're talking about building more housing stock um, that is much like my wife and I are our first home, which is less, um, about 900 square feet. And, um, and it's, I see Commissioner St. Clair, um, she oftentimes talks about that your first home and, and about the size of your last home. Um, <laughs> we want folks to age, um, be able to age in our district. Um, and that means we've got to have uh, more houses about that size. They strengthen our neighborhoods and our communities when we have a diversity of housing stock. And then it's also connected with being able to have folks be able to live where they work. So you reduce transportation, effects on our transportation infrastructure. Um, so we've got folks that live in Oak Harbor and commute um, to Cedar Woolley and the other way around. Um, and that's just crazy. That's an hour's drive. And um, you know, we moved to the tent so that we could live where we work and we're blessed to be able to do that. Uh, and I think helping our local municipalities being able to fill in and get more housing within their own um, their own city lines is one step. And then some of the things that uh, Commissioner Price Johnson talked about, I think are critically important. Well, I did have a question lined up about infrastructure, but I think uh, you both managed to roll in uh, the question about affordable housing into the question about infrastructure. So we'll move on uh, and talk about education. We are likely to have shortfalls in our school budget due to the pandemic. And Representative Paul, you are vice chair on the Education Committee. So we'll start with you on this. How specifically will you work to make sure that our schools have the funding that they're going to need? Yeah, that's a great question. And so we we have a really diverse set of districts in our in the 10th district, school districts. And so what can help, one of the things I've learned is what can help Oak Harbor School District might actually hurt Stanwood Community School District. So it's 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 not a one-size-fit-all solution um, to school funding issues. I think as we continue our work, we'll be looking at making sure that uh, districts are providing accessibility in terms of uh, computers and laptops. And I, my sense is that districts have done that very well across our region. And now making sure that folks have that those connectivity to actually be able to use those devices in their home, which is a, a longer term problem. And then I'm also especially concerned about special ed services. So I think right now what we're working on is how to help support our districts to have a safe reopening in the fall. And what that model could look like to make sure that uh, our children are safe and our faculty and the teachers and staff are safe as well. Um, and then if there is a, a spike in cases again um, next fall or winter, how we, if we have to shift uh, to an at-home model, how we're making sure that folks are getting those, those resources. Um, but education is constitutionally protected. Um, and I think the legislature takes that seriously. We'll be working to make sure that some of the federal dollars that have come into our school districts are being spent on the things that are going to most help our most vulnerable students. Helen Price Johnson, uh, the same question for you. How will you work to make sure that our schools will have the funding that they need uh, with all the budget shortfalls that we're absolutely anticipating? 
So I do think uh, this this also is a national problem. There are, there are schools across this whole country are are going to be struggling in the fall to address this need. And I think making sure that our congressional delegation understands how important that will be for these students that have had their school disrupted um, already. Uh, we these are kids uh, that I mean. We need to make sure that they're our highest priority for coming through this recovery. Um, we need to have economic recovery. We need to make sure people stay healthy. But the students that have had their education disrupted is uh, is a big concern of mine. I have a daughter who's a middle school teacher, and she has uh, maybe a third of her kids that access their online classes. Um, you, you know, it's it's not this isn't this isn't working for everybody. And I fear that some of them will fall behind. So I think making sure that local school districts have some flexibility in the dollars they do receive so that they can address the needs in their communities. As, as uh, Representative Paul said, the needs are not one size fits all in the tent. You know, we had uh, a viewer ask if I should refer to you as Commissioner Price Johnson, and I committed a, uh, a host sin by not asking you how you would like to be referred to. So I will ask you, is that how you prefer to be addressed? Yeah, that's the appropriate title. I will use it from here on, and please accept my apology. Uh, so let's move on to audience questions. Um, the first one, and we'll stay with you, Commissioner, are you concerned about the influence of corporate money in legislative decision-making, and do you accept corporate money? So I, um, I, I have accepted PAC money, and I am the uh, co-owner of a corporation. So uh, my, my little small business, a family business, is a corporation. So I, I want to make a distinction here. No, I don't take major... I, I, I think... Um, I think major corporations have much too much influence, certainly at the national level. I actually have not seen that as much at the at the state level, except where big businesses get tax breaks uh, that small businesses don't. And um, so I don't know that I, I you know I, the the good people that serve us in the in the state, like Representative Dave Paul, I don't I don't see him being purchased by corporate uh, money. So that no, I haven't. Uh, but I do think that there's a big influence in how our taxes get uh, overburdened on small businesses and individuals at the lower end of the scale where major businesses have, have been very successful in our state in getting uh, tax benefits. Well, Representative Paul, uh, I, I don't know if uh, the commissioner put words into your mouth, but I would love to hear you uh, to speak to this directly. Are you concerned about the influence of corporate money uh, on legislative decision making? And do you accept corporate money? Yeah, that's a great question. And so there, I do have concerns. I think, you know, I have accepted uh, a couple of donations that are from corporations. I think when we look at the, uh, if trying to win and trying to get our values in Olympia, that means ex accepting money from, from groups that are like, that represent the values we represent. And uh, I'm proud that uh, labor and environmental groups and and other folks that fight for the values of the um, average voter in the tenth have have helped me out. Um, that doesn't. That said, that doesn't influence my vote. And I uh, have joked around a little bit. I I think I've only accepted two or three corporate contributions, and one of them probably wants their money back uh, because I gave them a lot of grief in the last session uh, on the ferry infrastructure. Um, 
work that we were doing to try to keep jobs in Puget Sound. Uh, so I, I think it is a problem we could address at the state level. And I say that as somebody who, as an incumbent, um, that might not help me, but, but corporations are not lining up to support me. Um, people are, and they're the folks I represent. So Stefan, I'd like to just follow up real quick. With sure, I'll give you 30 I think, seconds. I, I think what's important is to, is to look at who is in, who, who have, who's supporting my campaign and, and the way I choose who I, which donations I take is if they support the values that, that I support, uh, regardless of their organizational structure. So um, yes, I take money from PACs if our values align. I have a number of questions that are, are pouring in right now, and a lot of them have to do with questions around COVID and the recovery. So I'm going to ask this of you, Representative Paul, and you are going to tell me if this is within the purview of the legislature. Vivian wants to know, is the legislature considering extending the eviction moratorium, and how are you preparing for the possibility of extensive evictions due to loss of incomes for, uh, for families as a result of closure? That's a good question. Um, right now, the governor has extended a moratorium using his emergency powers. And so, you know, I don't serve on one of the committees that deals with that directly. I think folks have been focused on, uh, since that has been extended by the governor, uh, what other work might need, need to happen with, on the legislative side. Uh, and I think, you know, folks in, in Olympia and the majority caucus and Democratic caucus are very concerned about uh, keeping folks in their homes, uh, the, uh, the cost of having folks um, get be moved down the streets are tremendous to society. Uh, when I was doorbelling two years ago, I, I met a woman who who was nearly in tears, describing what they had to do to stay in their home, and they recognized that if they lost that home, that that they would not be able to afford rents. So, keeping folks that that have have bought the house and, and keeping them out of going into foreclosure, I think, is incredibly important. Is there anything that you would like to add to that, uh, Commissioner? Uh, well, I, I, I do think that um, the best strategy is to keep people in the houses where they, that they have. And so that's why we're using um, our local funds at the, the state, the CARES funds that have come to the local level to prioritize housing and essential needs to keep people, help, help people meet their rent obligations or mortgage obligations. Um, because we need to keep people in their homes uh, and, and keep them out of crisis. It's our rapid rehousing. Our housing support center has been extremely successful in wrapping services around people who come to their doors um, because it's not housing. The loss of housing is the symptom. It isn't usually the cause of crisis. And so making sure people have access to the health care they need, that they have access to food resources, that they are navigating veterans benefits or other other need, other social safety net uh, services can really help people stay in their homes. I mean, it's a comprehensive approach is really important. I would like to ask, we've had a couple of questions about this, and this has to do with uh, immigrant workers as well as essential workers. And Larry asks, how do we better support our farm worker community, both documented and undocumented? And I would just extend that and say, you know, how do we protect the well-being of our essential workers and especially our immigrant community, who are really the backbone of agriculture here in the state? Uh, Commissioner, can we stay with you? Well, I think there, there's a number of issues that we're seeing um, really 
uh, in stark reality with the COVID outbreak in Skagit County, the Latinx community has really had a, the, the peaks of infection. And a lot of it has to do with, um, with adequate housing and access to care. And also their pe people's fear of accessing services um, that they're because of the broken immigration policies uh, that we have in this country. And so um, removing those barriers for folks so that they can get the care that they need for themselves and their families is really an important step. Representative Paul, I'll ask you the same question. How do we better support the farm worker community who is particularly vulnerable right now and they really are the backbone of our agriculture here in the state? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm going to echo what uh, Commissioner Price Johnson said. So first of all, we have a broken system at the national level uh, that needs to be fixed. And it's one of the things I talk to our congressional federal delegation uh, almost every time I'm on the phone uh, with folks. And I care about this from a broader perspective as we work with DREAMers at Skagit Valley College, uh, wanting to make sure that we have folks, uh, that folks have access to, to financial aid, uh, which is something else that we have time, I'll talk about what we've done at the state level. But what we have worked on, I think, especially uh, with the leadership of Deborah Lukanoff, Representative Lukanoff in the uh, 40th district uh, here in, in Skagit County, is making sure that uh, farm workers in Skagit County uh, get access uh, to personal protective equipment and making sure that equipment is being moved around uh, to where it's needed most, depending on the harvesting. Uh, making sure that farm workers have, we're, we're enforcing housing uh, to make sure that folks have safe housing. Um, on the farms and making sure that they're they're protected um, by labor and industries. And I think I think those you know we're all very fortunate that we are uh, we're, we're not working in, in that those really challenging conditions. And I, I think you're going to see. I, I think that there that, that perhaps this pandemic will show folks um, what the conditions are like. Um, in rural parts of our state and why we need to be doing more to help support folks and making sure that they're paid fairly and that they have, the, they have healthy living conditions in this incredibly challenging work. Let's stay with you for this next listener question uh, because certainly it's right in your wheelhouse. You're on the uh, education committee and you mentioned financial aid. Do you support tuition-free college for Washington? Oh, well, we, we have gone there in large part uh, through the Higher Education Act, where the Washington College grant is, provides financial aid. So it's state schools, at, um, middle class families, working uh, folks that qualify for aid are, are getting it essentially free uh, at the community college at the state level. And, and I'm proud that that work, you know, we developed before it was a cliff. If you didn't, if you made too much money, your family didn't get any aid. And now it's a stair step. So uh, middle-class families, which is really challenging prior to this to talk to that were, uh, I don't feel rich, yet my kid isn't getting any aid. Um, now they're gonna get some aid. Um, and that, I, I don't think I support it for everybody. My kids don't need free university tuition. Um, but I think for folks that are, uh, in that range that we've tried to fund with uh, uh, Drew Hansen's bill, Hansen's bill, I think is the right approach. Let's get folks who need the aid, the aid. But I don't think Bill Gates' kids, and I'm not, my kids are not like Bill Gates' kids. Uh, but I don't think uh, 
the Bill Gates family needs financial aid. Uh, so I'm not there on free tuition for everybody. Okay. Uh, well, Commissioner Johnson, I will just uh, point out that we just have a couple of minutes left. So, Commissioner Price Johnson, uh, what do you? What is your response uh, to the question about supporting t- tuition-free college for Washington? Uh, well, I do. I do think we need to make sure that everybody has access to 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 training and and, and community college access in Washington State. Um, but uh, again, Dave Paul and I are pretty similar in our views around this. I think we need to make sure that the support is going to those kids that have a barrier to access, um, and and and, uh, and and particularly middle class. I mean, certainly the, the those least fortunate uh, folks at the lower income bracket are eligible for a, a wide range of federal and state um Aid, but in the middle class, there's a it, it had become increasingly difficult just in the time from when my youngest child, or my oldest child, went to college till my youngest. The state tuition uh, changed dramatically, and because of cutbacks at the state level, and, and there's been important legislation since then to help remove those barriers for for low for, for middle income families. But I also want to say that we where I would want to make the other place I think we need to make sure we have investments is in early childhood because the more investments we make before kids come to kindergarten, uh, the less we have to spend later on and the more successful they can be. That that dollar is going to go a whole lot further. So similarly, I don't think it has to be free for everyone, but it needs to be accessible to everyone. Well, that actually sets up the next question perfectly, a listener question about child care. This person says over 68% of people in Washington live in a quote-unquote child care desert. Our rural community, and we don't know where this person lives, but we can assume that it's rural, was already in crisis. What are your plans to address that? Uh, Commissioner, we'll, we'll get your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I, I, uh, I interviewed recently with a group of child care providers and learned about some significant changes to regulations that have become a real burden on smaller private businesses that do childcare. And, and part of it is that they used to provide childcare in their home and then some safety, reg- well-meaning safety regulations were put into place that actually are, have prohibited them from being able to do that as, as, as they had in the past. And so we have to make a balance here that protects children, uh, but provides that care. You can't create such a big barrier for families to get back to work um, if they don't have quality and, and affordable childcare, it uh, it actually keeps it pushes people into crisis and, and exacerbates the very problems we've been talking about around trying to keep people in their homes and and have living wage jobs. Um, Representative Paul, uh, I'll ask you the same question: What would you do? What have you done to uh, help with the the lack of of childcare uh, available childcare in Washington State? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so in the Democratic caucus and the majority caucus, that was probably the number one priority in the last session. Um, I think that folks, the some of the investments that, return on investments that uh, Commissioner Price Johnson spoke of uh, have been discussed a lot uh, in our caucus. And, and that this is also, if, if you frame it right and are talking to the right folks as a bipartisan issue, it's, it's not just an issue for our district, but you can talk to Representative Dent over in Eastern Washington and connect it to early learning. And the fact that when we have quality childcare and we have it connected to early learning, uh, that we are gonna have such a tremendous return on our investment. So I, what is really challenging right now is knowing what 
this is going to look like as we've had school districts have gotten involved with childcare. We've had folks that have closed down at a, at a fear of having, um, of, of continuing to run their, uh, their center. Um, we are going to be having to do some triage this summer and fall. And, uh, you know, I, I'm really glad we've seen so many folks step in to make sure that first responders have childcare. And, and as this settles in and we have our path to recovery, this will have to be something that's a top priority for the caucus. It, and I'm, I'm confident it will be. Thank you so much to both of you. This has just been wonderful. And I will just ask both of you one final question, and that is where people can learn more about your campaigns and just let us know a little bit about what specific needs you might have. We know that this is a very challenging time to be running a campaign. So, uh, uh, Representative, let's start with you. Oh, thank you so much, Stefan. Thank you, everybody, for giving me the opportunity to, to share with you. I see so many uh, familiar faces, but there are folks here that, that I don't know yet. Uh, so you can learn more about my campaign at uh, www.votedayfall.com um, and links to um, email me there. And um, of course, it's this is just an article in the last week talked about that this race will probably be the most expensive in the state. Um, I hate asking for money, uh, but donations to my campaign uh, mean that um, I can spend less time fundraising and more time actually talking to voters. And I think many of you know that the my favorite thing to do is to knock on doors. Um, so this has been a rough two months for me, um, not uh, not being able to get out of the house. I think my family would like me to get out of the house. <laughs> well. uh, but but also, please uh, uh, please tell ten friends and and have them like our Facebook page or have them get connected to the campaign. We always work to make sure that we're connecting folks to the jobs that they care about, that that they find uh, that they find enjoyable. Um, and then you also can elect uh, Helen Price Johnson um, as our next state senator. Um, it would be great to have a partner in the Senate um, to have that that person I can go talk to. And we have worked so closely over the last two years and over the last 12 years in my role at the college and her role as commissioner. I would love to have her join me in Olympia. So your first priority should be to get me reelected. But, but priority 1.0. A, I don't know what that would be. It was to get Senator Johnson, Price Johnson, uh, with me. We're going to have to break out the Dewey Decimal System, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Commissioner uh, Helen Price Johnson, uh, I will give you the final word this evening. Where can people learn more about your campaign and what specific needs do you have right now? Well, in the chat box, you'll see a link to my website, HelenPriceJohnson.org. Please uh, click on that. You can order, uh, give them Helen. Sticker for your car. Uh, <laughs> I love and, that. Uh, and and I, I, the most important thing that any of you can do is tell 10 or 20 people, send an email to your list saying these races are important. This, The 10th district is going to have so much outside money, and these races will be so tight. I mean, many of the people on this call right now know Dave and I and, and think many people have told me, oh, it'll be a shoe-in. It will not. Uh, Dave won his race by 700 votes last time, and, and this will be a very difficult race. So every single vote that we can that we can get will really make a difference. So however you can help us with that, you're welcome to volunteer, donate, but really your voice is what's most important. So thank you very much, everybody, for spending an hour of your life with us. It's such a beautiful evening. 
Thank you again to Commissioner Helen Price Johnson and Representative Dave Paul. Thanks again to Kat Pipkin with the Washington Indivisible Network and Julie Onjewski with Indivisible Tacoma. Thanks also to Larry Barrent and the Flip the Tenth Coalition. A reminder to join us on Tuesday, June 2nd for a town hall with candidates for Lieutenant Governor, Congressman Denny Heck and State Senator Marco Leas. And that is it for today. Our website is indivisiblepodcast.org and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. and is part of the Demcast Podcast Network. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell. And as always, my thanks to you guys for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.